0: practical tips, tools, and resources you can implement today to bust through your own internalized prisons of worry and doubt. And now, without further ado, please welcome your commanding coach with plenty of chutzpah and heart, Sarah Box.
1: Hi, this is Sarah. Thank you so much for downloading this episode of the No Labels, No Limits podcast, a podcast all about shedding your limiting labels and beliefs so you can lead fulfilling, meaningful and purposeful lives we all want to do that and i believe without a doubt we are actually each capable of a lot more than we give ourselves credit for Um, so let me start by asking you a question this is a kind of a riddle me that type of question what do you think a ninja four leaf clover spotter has in common with a springtime dandelion party planner noodle on that for just a minute. but I will tell you that they are both superpowers of today's guest. So we'll, we'll find out a little bit more about what those are later. But let me tell you that this episode marks the first in a five-part series that we have specifically designed to roll out over the next five weeks on heart-centered storytelling. Why does that matter? Because we are all communicating in different ways through different mediums with people about concepts and things that truly make a difference in the world. So we're starting off today, we're beginning with an author who loves to connect and enchant her readers and their parents with her books and her activities. So let me tell you a little bit about today's guest, Christy Wright Wild, and that is an alliteration to say slowly. Christy Fell in love with writing way back in the second grade, and she's continued that or continued that all throughout her school years into college, where she majored in creative writing. She exited college into the work world, where she spent 10 years as she started her family and then returned to school for her K 6 elementary education certification. Here's something I love about Christine. I'm going to ask about this later. Christy believes that when you share a book with a child, you share your heart. She is a self-published author of two books, My Dandelion Wish Journal, a special five-year diary to record your wishes, Each Spring, When You Blow a White Dandelion fluff. And my Dandelion Activity Book. This is really cool. It's a free and super fun activity book for children between the ages of 5 and 12. So I'm going to ask her about both of those. And her third book, Recipes for a Dandelion Party, is currently on submission through her literary agent, Stacey Graham. And as a two-time marathon finisher, she also enjoys running and hosts a Facebook group, Writers Who Run. I'm wondering how she has time to do all this. But anyway, I hope you get the insights and value from this interview that will actually move you to where you want to be in your writing, in your communication, and in your business and life. So with that, let's welcome our guest, Christy Wright-Wild. Hi, Christy. Hi, how are you? I'm great. I've been looking forward to our chat. Um, And folks probably don't know, Christy and I, our paths intersected on business, where I reached out to her. She offered up, hey, anybody need help with this? And I raised my hand and said, I do. And I have had such fun working with Christy, but also learning from her. Um, You know, screen sharing is a a great venue um, for learning how people's brains work. But Christy, I love to start asking, all my guests this question. Is there something that you do every day that keeps you heading in the direction of your goals and dreams? Ooh,
2: something that I do every day that leaves me in the right direction. Well, I mean, I use Michael Hyatt's Full Focus Planner. Oh, you too. <laughs> I
1: which, love it. Which version do you use?
2: Okay, well, I, I had the... This is the fancy looking one. Yep. got um, oh, polka dots in the back. So there's the green, the red, the bold. This is not the bold line. The bold. The leather. But I had the other one first. Like, I tried this planner back in 2019, 2018. I don't know. I didn't even use the full month. I couldn't get into it. But last year, about a year ago, I was able to get back into it. I'm like, okay. And at this time, it worked. But I also have daily um, affirmations. There's like 30 or so. Uh, I try to do them every day. I'm, just, I'm, not, I'm not a perfectionist on it. So that kind of starts my day off, just to kind of remind myself of the things that are important, you know. And then I also have something called end of workday questions. And I'm trying to get, I got a couple dozen of those but these are questions that I ask myself close to the end of the day that, like, helps me stop working. <laughs> I have found when I actually read the questions, it
1: makes a huge difference. Can you give me an example of a couple of your questions? Because I, I could use yeah. it to stop working. I love working. I because <laughs> stopping is harder than starting.
2: Uh-huh. So, like... Did I accomplish my daily big three, which that, of course, comes from the full focus planner? Where will my life be tomorrow if I continue doing what I am doing right now? Because it's all about stopping work. Like, that's my problem in life. (laughs) What do I want to do tomorrow morning? Why do I want to finish this now? Can I find a stopping point now and finish this tomorrow? Why do I want to get up at 6 a.m.? Remember how much you love
1: your morning routine.
2: You know, things like that. So like it goes on. But those are a couple of things that I try to remember to do.
1: That's great. And I will be um, asking myself some of those questions. I try to have the same shutdown routine every night, but it varies. And I love those questions, Christy. So thanks for sharing them. Yeah. I have another kind of off-the-wall question for you before we dive into all your super skills. I want to talk a little bit about your superpowers. First of all, how did you get to become known as a ninja four-leaf clover spotter and also a springtime dandelion party planner? Okay.
2: (laughs) Well, the four-leaf clover one is my self-proclaimed ninja skill (laughs) because everyone's like, share what kind of special talents you have. And I'm like, okay, I'm just going to tell people that I can find four-leaf clovers really, really good. So I remember one time when I was 12 years old, we went to church. We went like Wednesday night youth activity kind of thing. And I was walking around outside and I found like 18 four-leaf clovers in one hour. And I don't even sit down in the grass and park and look for them. I'm walking and they just, I spot them. I'll have to take a step back. And then I get it, and I, I I just bend over and pick it up.
1: Oh, well, so you, that's that's pretty interesting. You take a step back, and then you see it.
2: No, well, I see it, but it's like by the time I register my brain that I've seen it, I have to take one step back because I've already passed it at that point. And then it's like right there where I saw it.
1: Interesting. I wonder how that translates to your end-of-day closeout. Anyway.
2: <laughs> I've collected... Hundreds. I have boxes all throughout my house where I, I've got dried, dan- um, not dried dandelions. Dried the clovers. I don't even know how many I have.
1: And what's up with the springtime dandelion party planner? So that kind of goes along with
2: my book that's on submission, which one caveat, it's actually not on submission anymore. I do not updated my website, but it was on submission for like a year. And so we haven't completely given up or we've just shelved it for the time being. So we have a different book on submission right now. And that book, is called Recipes for a Dandelion Party. And so it's just, I think there's seven chapters and each chapter talks about the dandelion in different ways. So like the history of the dandelion, um, let's see. Uh, dandelion poetry dandelion ways you can like make the wreath and you know you can like uh so there's three different dress up ways that you can be like a flower wreath girl and you know uh I don't remember all the, the terms but that's and so it's basically for children you know at springtime they collect all the dandelions and they can throw a party invite their friends and just have a little fun time and they can um make their own invitations and do a uh a centerpiece and put on a performance for everyone the poetry and play games and act. and then the biggest thing of all of course is to make dandelion food so there's dandelion fritters and a salad and uh raspberry tea you know dandelion tea or whatever
1: okay i'm really turning left on you here because i was in the grocery store over the weekend <laughs> getting i really i have to shop for the produce because i can't stand running out So the produce guy is stalking all the fresh produce that's come in, and he's right by where I want to be. And I said, are those dandelion greens you just put up there? And he goes, yep. And I go, how do you cook them? How do you prepare them? He goes, okay, honestly, most of the people who buy these give them to their birds and turtles. (laughs) I said, so you don't know how to prepare them? But it was so funny. And now you talk about dandelion recipes, and I'm just so intrigued.
2: Yeah, I mean it is intriguing. So as far as how to cook the dandelion greens, most people you just put them in salads.
1: Like you mix it's it. With just other chop them up raw and put them in salad. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I can. You could that.
2: also put it on like a sandwich. You know, kind of like lettuce. Um, they're kind of bitter and and unless just, they're like from a young. Like radicchio and that type of thing. Yeah, and then you c you can just cook them like fried collards or whatever. Just.
1: Okay, so folks listening to No Labels, No Limits, you know, sometimes I go left, but I couldn't resist because those were two topics that came up in such a short period of time, you know, days that I just thought, okay, I'm going to ask someone who probably knows, and it wasn't my grocery guy, although I promised when I found out information I'd share it with them next time I saw him. So (laughs) let's let's get into writing. So how did pursuing your K six elementary education certification lead you to writing children's books? What was the, because you'd always loved writing, but what was the kind of transition for you in your journey there?
2: Yeah. I mean, like you mentioned, there was a, a 10 year period where I didn't write anything. Part of that was just young, you know, finding the next job, that kind of thing, just time, being married, all that stuff. But then another part of it, which I didn't really realize until later uh was that my professor for my senior thesis it was actually a, a project so I was wrote a novel half a novel technically uh for my senior paper but when I got my grade back I pulled it out of the manila envelope saw his reply and there was a big fat B on there. I was like, oh a B? Uh okay well I can live with a B, whatever. You know it's senior I'm graduating, done with it. But the comment, the comment under that B was something to the effect of this to me still does not seem to be a professional quality. And it just like, I don't know, it just messed my brain up subconsciously where I just didn't write for 10 years, you know? So part of that 10 year period was like six and a half years I spent going back to school part-time to get my teaching education for K-6. And I just, I don't know, like there's something about it. Like when I went to college the first time, The only thing I could say was, I'm not going to be a teacher. Like, for some reason, I was dead set against becoming a teacher. But when I did decide to become a teacher, for some reason, I felt very called to, like, do that. Like, I just needed to be a teacher, right? And so, six and a half years, finally get my K-6 license. But part of the stuff that we did during, like, learning that was, you know, reading picture books and reading children's literature, you know? And I just fell in love with it, you know, as a writer too. And there's this society called—it's a—it's a writing organization. So if anyone knows of it, I'm your sister. <laughs> it's called the short version is SCBWI, which stands for Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators. It's a worldwide organization. They are chapters like all throughout the world. So I'm in the Carolinas chapter, and I don't know, um, just. I guess just being with children, you know, and reading books. I got my, I got my teaching license in 2007. I had my children in 2004 and 2006. So it was kind of like, you know, being a new mom, getting a teaching degree. And in 2009, that's the year when I started writing again, because my sister invited me to her house to read something that she had written. She's like, I want your feedback. I'm like, Oh, this is exciting. Okay, sure. Let me go check it out. And it was 10 years, you know, since I had stopped writing and after I read it, I was like, dang girl, this is good. (laughs) Like it was really good. It was, it was, um, fictional, but kind of based off of her own life, past experience and all that. But she just writes really, really well. And that just got me inspired, and I went back home. I pulled out all my old writings and was just inspired to, like, start writing again. So I looked at all my poetry. I looked at my novel. I read some short stories, and then I had snippets of ideas here and there. And the, the, this is the cool part. The idea for the recipes for a Dandelion um, party was was in there. So how cool is that? <laughs>
1: Well, it goes to show that we create things that we either discount or forget about, and sometimes we need to rediscover them. Yeah, yeah. That is cool. And it's great that you kept all that information in your journals.
2: Yeah. When when I, well, not so much journals, but like notebooks, folders, whatever. But right. when, I, when I ran across that idea again, I was like, oh yeah, I remember this idea. That's actually still a pretty good idea. I should do that. Yeah. Sometimes you need to percolate a while. <laughs> Say what?
1: Sometimes those ideas, the second time you look at them, you were kind of amazed. You're thinking, wow, that was good then. I think it's better now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, you say that when you share a book with a child, you share your heart. Why do you say that?
2: I don't know if I was trying to come up with something clever for my website or if it has deeper meaning. Now, it really could likely have some deeper meaning. And I'll just share a quick story, which probably will be like the deeper meaning. So (laughs) um, my parents got divorced when I was, I don't know, four years old. And I just have this little tiny memory of sitting on the front porch, you know, like I don't, I don't think it was a covered front porch. In my memory, it was a, uh, like a cement patio, you know, two or three steps. So we were sitting out there. It was a sunny day. And my mom was reading me a book, like a picture book, you know, with pictures. And then she got in her car and drove away. And there was dust trailing behind her and everything. It was pretty much all I remember. But the strange thing of it is, that's the only time I remember my mom ever reading me any kind of book. And I later asked her a couple years ago, actually, I said, hey, mom, did you used to read to me a lot or what? She's like, yeah, I read to you all the time. I'm like... Okay, because I only remember one time. <laughs> when you read a story, picture books are meant to be read aloud to children. And the ideal age for a picture book is ages four to eight. And a lot of those children, I mean, if it's your own child, they will likely be sitting in your lap or snuggled up real close. You know, teachers often use picture books, you know, to start a lesson plan or something like that too, even if they're older kids, but they also want to see the pictures, you know? So you have to sit there and hold it and turn the pages. I can't see. And you know, everyone's, (laughs) but the story, the messages, like the heartfelt feeling of sharing a story, to me, it feels like even if you're not the one writing the story, if you're just reading a story to someone, a child, like, you really do share, like in that moment in time, you're sharing your heart with each other almost, you know? And so I just think it's important that that children are read to, and it also helps them, you know, learn how to read. Not necessarily learn how to read, but when they connect with those emotions, when they were being read to, it, it has a, gives them a higher chance of becoming a lifelong reader.
1: Because of the associations? Yeah, yeah. So that's so funny. You say that I remember being read to as well. And, um, and you're right. When I think about it, like, I can remember the messages in the thing, but I, I mostly remember the pictures. And there was like one book my mom read to, to us from, and when, you know, before she passed, like, what kinds of things do I want? I want that book. Have I read it again? No, I want the pictures. Right, because they're just evocative and they remind me of being a kid and all the lessons that then spun out from those stories through her. So um, let me ask you this, and I want to come back a little bit later and talk about your Dandelion book, because I know you've got a cool offer for us. But, you know, writing books and self-publishing, which you've done a couple of times, is not um, a breeze, right? It, It takes... It takes focus and it's work. So um, what did you learn through that journey?
2: Well, it took me... <laughs> I actually used to be anti-self-publishing. Like, I still am a little bit.
1: <laughs> Would you say you are a self-publishing snob?
2: Mm-hmm. No. Like, I'm against self-publishing in, in most causes, I mean, would that be something that would make someone a snob?
1: Depends on why. So it's <laughs> be like, oh, because it's beneath me versus it doesn't serve my readers or my audience. Mm. You know, like if, are there practical reasons that you're not if, aren't in big favor for it? It's
2: the biggest reason I'm against self-publishing in most cases specifically is if someone's trying to do a picture book and their illustrations are not professional. It screams from the rooftops, amateur. And I refuse <laughs> to look like an amateur with my picture books, which I don't have my picture books published yet. That's why they're still on submission with my agent. But um I'm slowly coming around <laughs> to the idea. Clearly, since I have self-published two books, um, again, they're not picture books, but I would consider Self-publishing a few of my picture books only for like lead generation. If you have, I've read lots of marketing stuff, and so the idea here is, if anyone wants to kind of capture, you don't. It's not just picture books either, right? It's for anyone with books. So the idea is, you have a free offer, a free book that's free no matter what. That gets people in. It gets readers, and so that's like on your your Kindle version, I guess. And then from there, like inside that ebook, there's a link that says, hey, you want more free books? Drop your email and you can get one, two, three, however many a free. But then that way now you have their email address. And so then from the email, then you can offer them a book for sale,
1: you know. So So it's a business strategy as well. It is a
2: business strategy. And so I have to like I'm looking up here at the wall and I have like four different books. Like, okay, one of them would be the free, the two would be for the email, and then uh, the fourth one would be, like, the one for sale. But finding an illustrator, like, I can find one, but <laughs> they're expensive because they're, it's not the same, like, self-publishing with a picture book. It's not going to be the same process with, say, I mean, because with traditionally, because a traditionally published picture book, the author and the illustrator basically split the royalties half and half, but if you're self-publishing, you pretty much have to pay the illustrator whatever flat fee the two of you agree upon in order to make it work. So anyway, that's kind of why I'm anti-self-publishing for picture books, but if it's non-fiction, say like for my Dandelion Wish journal, I mean, it did take me a while to like figure it out. I do have a friend and she self-published lots of books. And I'm like, wow. And most of hers are nonfiction. She just had one um, picture book that she self-published. And it's got a really lovely little message you know, for children. But I kind of reached out to her. I'm like, so how easy was it? How hard was it? What did you do? How do you get started? And once I got to researching about it, just go to Kindle or Amazon, KDP, Kindle Direct Publishing, I guess, is what KDP stands for. Yep. But anyone can go on Amazon and research it. Once I got to research, I was like, "Oh, not near as hard as I
1: thought it would be." (laughs) No, the the production piece is not as hard. The writing—you still have to write.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, they're both tricky. Like the writing part is going to take long time, editing, fixing, all that kind of stuff. Especially if it's well, my Dandelion Wish Journal is a different kind of book.
1: Let's talk about that a little bit. So that way our readers can actually... So let me just back up and do a little recap. So you've both self-published and you're in the process of a traditionally published book, which is on the shelf for now, but you've got another one with your agent. Um, Your preference, especially for picture books, is that the quality of the illustrations is professional. And if you're willing to foot the bill for that yourself, then you can hire out and get that done and self-publish. But if you're not, you have to look for more traditional publishing so the quality of your book is not compromised. Would you say that's a kind of a good recap of where we are so far? Oh, yeah,
2: for sure. There's also the marketing aspect as far as self-publishing versus traditional, whereas self-publishing, you have to do all of it yourself. Traditional, you get a little help from your publisher.
1: (laughs) Right. But none of it is I think sometimes people think there's, you know, it's like, oh, I'll hire this out. They're just going to turn around and give you things you have to do. You're the author. There are things you have to do. So, um, but let me ask you, do you have, let's talk about your workbook, you know, the, your wish journal rather, Mm -hmm. because, you know, the concept of that is pretty intriguing. So can you share a little bit about That and how the five-year journey, how you envision that playing out.
2: Yeah. So I I have a copy right here, which I know uh, the readers can't see. (laughs) I mean, the readers, the listeners can't see. I write a blog, so I'm I'm not readers. I write. I read. Um, But yeah, it's called My Dandelion Wish Journal. So it is a five-year guided journal, meaning it's not a blank journal with blank pages with lines on the page. So it's not just your standard blank journal. A guided journal is where there is a little bit of content in the book to, it asks you certain questions and you fill out the answers. And it's kind of meant to be fun, interactive, you know, make you think and write whatever you want to write, but within the confines of the guidance provided by the book. And so it's a five-year journal, meaning like every year you can repeat it, the process for five years in a row. So specifically, you know, I have celebrations that talks about, um, you have National Dandelion Day, which happens to be April 5th, so that's right around the corner, and then they can fill out what year it is and what you did on that day. So how did you celebrate National Dandelion Day? And the first bloom of spring, right? So when and where were you when you saw the first dandelion that spring? Every time like, I see dandelions, I'm like, oh, there's a dandelion. Oh, there's a dandelion. <laughs> I always have to point it out. That they always start in March. And um, there's a page on the celebration section. This year, and you fill in the year, my wish for spring is. And so you can just kind of pre-write whatever your wishes, hopes, dreams, goals, desires, whatever for this year or this spring, you know, and just write, you know, right there. Um, there's a section for festivals. There actually happens to be seven dandelion festivals in the United States. When I, I was like, what? So I, now, are those
1: I'm all on the, the fifth? Do those happen at the no, same? time? No, no. Okay. So there
2: are three festivals in Colorado alone. Those are in early May, and then one of them's in June. Then there's one in Michigan in early May, one um, in Ohio in early May, one in New Hampshire in mid-May, and then one in West Virginia, which is the
1: closest to my hometown, would be Memorial Weekend. So what, just tell me, what is the significance of a dandelion? So, I mean, if there's festivals, there's some sort of significance. What is that?
2: I don't know what um, everyone else's significance is, but they're just really cool. So there's a the great debate is, is it a weed or is it an herb or is it a flower? So I say it's an herb and a flower, not a weed. <laughs> and you can eat them. You can make wishes with them. So I don't know how other people do the wishes, but when I was a kid, here's how it works. You find a dandelion with the white puff ball, the white seed head, and you blow on it and they go scattered in the wind. But if you catch one of them, then that's the one you make a wish on. So I don't know if other people just close their eyes and make a wish and then they blow it like a birthday candle. But I'm like, no, you have to catch a seed in order to actually make the wish.
1: <laughs> oh, I did it the other way where we pulled the dandelion and blew it but we made the wish first. More like a birthday candle. Yeah, yeah. Yep, exactly. So interesting. Who knew? And it's interesting the timing of the festivals because you when you think about the weather in different parts of the country, um, it'd be hard to have a festival when there's still snow on the ground.
2: Yeah, I mean, so they all basically are in early May to early June because yeah. that's when dandelions are the most plentiful, you know, spring. So... <laughs>
1: Well, and those of us who look for them in our lawn know that. So it's like, hmm, you got to go.
2: And here's an interesting
1: piece of tidbit. For the people who think it's a weed,
2: I was watching some videos on YouTube about dandelions. And this guy, uh, a gardener, master gardener, he does his own thing. I was like, what? Basically, the dandelion, if you have a yard that is full of dandelions, it's actually nature's way of making the yard healthy again. Because the tap roots and the vitamins and minerals that play into like the health of your soil, like it's all a part of it. So he said, actually, if you have um, a yard with zero dandelions, that soil might not be as healthy. And then it goes through cycles. So you might have a lot of dandelions one year, and then maybe two or three years later you have zero or you know, and it's just nature's way of kind of keeping the soil
1: healthy. You know what, nature. Such a magnificent I balance. I know. So Christy, um, before I forget, you are offering folks a free dandelion activity book. Yep. Yes, yes. Well, tell us about that and how to get it.
2: So it's on my website, ChristyRiteWild dot com slash. Uh, we'll put the link, I'm sure, in the
1: show notes. I map. will. Don't worry
2: but about the slash. Like we'll a cover baby that. Free line book with a couple of hyphens in there. That's so nice. something of that nature. But if you go to my website, you can stumble upon it and find it. But it's basically, um, I don't know, like a 30 page downloadable uh, uh, activity book. You know, so it's got coloring pages and dot to dots and mazes and word games. So it's, I would say, I mean, it could be for younger children for the coloring pages, but the other activities are more for the older kids. So you've got a couple of kids, different ages. It's perfect. You can even print it out every year and redo it as like, that could be your National Dandelion Day fun activity for celebration.
1: <laughs> Very cool. Did your kids like doing those?
2: Well, I didn't create it when they were young enough to enjoy it, but my daughter did help let's see. So this, the Dandelion book, uh, I published it last year. So in 2020, actually, and my daughter was 13 at the time. And so she helped me pick out some of the pictures and just, you know, give me feedback and advice. You know, she's like, well, I want one.
1: (laughs) See, that's very cool to be able to partner with your daughter in doing Mm -hmm. that. So I did want to ask um, two more questions about what it takes to do the work you do, specifically with writing and children's books. And But were there um, <coughs> times, as, and I'm thinking about through the self-publishing, but also, you know, through shopping the book that you were shopping and you've temporarily put on hold, were there times that you ever wanted to give up
2: well, I mean, I kind of already gave up once, remember, 10 whole years, so <laughs> for that, I'm like, no, I'm never giving up. I mean, the dream, the ultimate dream is to be able to make a living, not necessarily from royalties, because that's like far and few between, let's be honest, but just from other things related to my own writing, so entrepreneurship, just different things of that nature, instead of having to, say, work for someone else. <laughs> So that's the ultimate dream. What was the question again? Um,
1: <laughs> Did you ever want to give up? Oh, give
2: up? Yeah. So, it's like, so I'm I'm pursuing entrepreneurship with the purpose so that I have more time to write. You know, and it's I'm slowly getting there. It's it's a very long journey. I really like. I started writing back again in 2009. I didn't start even thinking about being an entrepreneur until 2014. And then, I mean, I did a Writers Who Run retreat for four years, uh, 2016, 17, 18, and 19. Then COVID hit. I'm taking a couple years off, but it's coming back. And so that's part of my entrepreneurship journey as well. But I mean, some books are easier than others and some are harder. And the revision process is, I mean, it's long. It's a long revision process. Even if you think, oh, I can write a kid's book, they're only 500 words, you better think again, because many of my books have well over a dozen different versions, you know, and revisions, like, it's not as easy as it sounds, you
1: know, and yeah, so. (laughs) Well, when you think about that, and I would agree, I mean, it was so, it was hard to get a first draft of something and then to have it come back and say, I don't understand this You need to revise this are you kidding i've revised it way before you ever saw it and it is there's just that process it's not one and done the question i would ask you as we wrap this up is i want you to go back to when you graduated and you got your senior project back what advice would you give to professors that would could help them provide constructive feedback that is honest and yet does not dash people's uh, belief in themselves or even their future potential by a casual remark. Yeah.
2: I mean, the grade, that's the honesty part. Like, okay, fine. And it's subjective and that's fine. Like, I was not even bothered by the B at all. But professors should understand, especially... Okay, especially with writing. So I don't know about all the other, <laughs> all the other professions and things, but especially with writing because that's like a heartfelt thing. You know, people feel like I, I poured my blood, sweat, and tears into that project. You know, it was based on personal experience or whatever, right? It's hard. It can be hard for beginning authors to even separate themselves from critiques. And I mean, we did a lot of critiques in college, so like I know all about that. But the feedback, it's like. You know, encourage people, right? Give them something of hope to grasp towards. It's like, I have no doubt you'll one day become, you know, whatever. You know, I actually have, my dad was dating someone one time and her name was Lorna. And she was an editor someplace and she requested to see my poetry. And I gave it to her and she gave it back. And I I still have the little sticky note somewhere But she was like, you have a gift for theme, like develop that. I'm like, ooh. (laughs) So, I mean, maybe the professors could try to look for the one thing that's really good and, you know, invite invite the writer to develop the thing that's really, really good. So, I don't know if my self-confidence was low at that point in time or what the deal was. But, I, I mean, in the moment, it didn't feel like it broke me. But like looking back, it's like, well, gee, maybe that's why I didn't write for 10 years.
1: (laughs) It's, it's subtle. The words that are used um, have the power to go below our, our conscious, you know, like you can have that immediate reaction, but sometimes that stuff sticks. And I do think what you're saying is like, give a hope or a glimmer or a focus and in the In a different realm, in a business or self-assessment realm, you know, you really want folks to recognize where they could shore up some things, but also focus on their strengths and develop those. So um, those are wise words to professors of creative writing or writing in general and potentially anything else that has that creative place that also needs to be tempered with honest feedback. Yep, for sure. So, Christy, as we wrap this up, what is your preferred way or the best way for people to reach out to you to find out more about what you're up to and um, learn from you?
2: Well, people can find me, um, find out more about me either on Facebook. They can go to my Facebook page, my profile, or my website. If they want to connect with me personally, Facebook's probably the best way. I mean, through my website, you can send me an email. So there's that. But on Facebook, if you message me on messenger. Like
1: I'm always on Facebook. <laughs> I've noticed that about you.
2: I'm always on my computer and I'm always on Facebook. So. Yep.
1: Folks, she's really responsive. So if you need to reach her and you're on Facebook messenger. So, and we'll put all those links in the show notes. So you don't have to go through them all. Christy. I want to thank you for being our kickoff. Um, kickoff podcast for this series on storytelling, what it takes, ways to think about it, feedback, um, because we're going to dive into that on, on successive episodes this month. And I look forward to talking with you a little bit later in the month.
0: Absolutely. Thanks so
1: much. It was a blast.